Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bah Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that wonders whether six movies and a season is now becoming the motto for all Christmas films. Hello everybody, I'm Helen O'Hara, I'm your host, and today we are going to be talking not about a film, but about a TV show. This is not the first time we've done it, of course we had Hawkeye last year, for example, but we really had to reconvene for the Santa Clauses, the sequel to the Santa Claus the Santa Claus 2 and the Santa Claus 3, which is on Disney Plus this year. So once again, Tim Allen returns as Scott Calvin, now working for nearly 30 years as Santa Claus and beginning to think maybe it's time for him to retire. Certainly his wife, Carol, played by Elizabeth Mitchell, is very keen that she actually get more to do in life than be known as Mrs. Claus, no first name. So the search begins for his successor and soon alights on tech billionaire wannabe Simon Chocksky, played by Cal Penn and his adorable daughter, Grace Rupali Red. All seems to be fantastic. Everything is going well, but wouldn't you know it, a few hiccups appear when Scott actually starts to retire. So with me today to discuss this in great spoilerific detail are two of the finest film journalists I know. We've got uh, Tom Beasley and Charlotte Harrison. How are you doing? All good. Great. Very Christmassy. Very festive. You must love this franchise, Helen. It's a Christmas franchise based around legal clauses. It's right up your alley. (laughs) It's everything I could want from life. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Charlotte? Are you a big fan going back of the Santa Claus? Yeah, I think Tom and I are both the generation where we watched it as kids. Speaking for Tom here. (laughs) So yeah, I've got a special place for it, although I'm aware of its quality. I'm realistic about its quality. (laughs) That is a lovely euphemistic way of saying it. I'm aware of its quality. Just grinning as I say it. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, yeah, we should, we should discuss that a little bit because like, I'll be honest, I'm slight, I it hit me at slightly the wrong age. And so I've always been a little bit of a Santa Claus skeptic, not a Santa Claus skeptic, that's a different thing, but the Santa Claus skeptic. And, and I did struggle with it a little bit because I find him quite unlikable, I think, in that first film, you know, right up until the end. And it made it quite hard for me to root for him. I wouldn't say he's redeemed much in the others or the TV series either, to be honest. No, maybe not. For me, I think a lot of it is the imagery 
And also in the second film, the sequence where he gives them the childhood toys they always wanted. I think that's one of the most iconic Christmas film images for me. I love that sequence. Yeah, it, it did do a good job, I think, of one thing, which is convincing kids how this could work frankly, and explaining to kids how Santa Claus works. And now, for me, because I'm very old, that was Santa Claus the movie, which made it all perfectly clear to me and totally made sense. But I think for the next generation, it was the Santa Claus that sort of did yeah. that work, right? I, I think you're right. I think you're right, because I, I, to this day, have never seen Santa Claus the movie. Oh, Tom. But I watched the Santa Claus a lot as a kid. I probably watched it every year. So the Santa Claus is in my head all mm. the time. But yeah, I think it's completely generational, which one you had. So I had... Tim Allen as slightly grumpy, slightly unlikable, as you say, Santa. Yeah. So, okay. So what did you think when you heard that this series was a thing? Excited? Thrilled? Apprehensive? I don't, like, I wouldn't say apprehensive. I'm not that wedded to the Santa Claus. Like, I haven't, I haven't seen the sequels, so I haven't seen two and three. Oh, my goodness. You've missed Martin Short as, I think, Jack Frost. Jack Frost. So, yeah, I, I, before watching this series, I very quickly skimmed the Wikipedias for the other two, just so... I mean, it's it's not it's not massively complicated. There's another clause. He has to do a thing to fulfil the other clause. It's not it's not rocket science. Um, but yeah, no, I was quite excited to to be going back into this again. And I think a, a TV series kind of works. I mean, I'm always movie supremacy all the way, so I'd rather there was a movie. But I'll uh, I'll take a TV series as long as they're half an hour long, which they are. So it's all good. Yes, well, the movie. Uh, yes, movie supremacy, the lesser uh, spin-off of the Born Supremacy, but uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, how about you, Charlotte? Were you were you looking forward to this, or were you like, oh god, I have to watch this because Helen's asked me? <laughs> um, I had a question when I saw it was announced that I still that remains, and it sounds meaner than I intend, but um, I don't know who this is for. Right. I really watching it. I'm not sure who it's pitched at or who would Okay, this sounds really mean. Who would take pleasure in watching this for fun? <laughs> Again, sounds meaner than I It intend. sounds a little bit mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. You're not a mean person for for the you know, the health of any viewers out there, just to be clear. Charlotte is not famed for her meanness, but I think that is a fair question. Because when you get into questions of retiring to Florida and, you know, starting a new job and things like that. It's not the most obvious thing that kids are going to engage with. It's it's kind of taxation of the outer trade routes, really, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah, I work with, what, 11 to 18-year-olds, my day job in a secondary school, and I get a kind of feel for the zeitgeist and what they're talking about, and all they're talking about is Wednesday right now. I don't know any kid who's seen The Santa Claus, let alone watching the TV series. Yep. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I do I do think you could jump in though. You don't necessarily have to have seen the film. Uh, yeah, no, and I completely. think that's I think that's what they're banking on because the tone of the show is quite kiddie. It's not like sometimes when they do like a nostalgia recall or whatever they call it like this, it's very clearly pitched at people who are the age we are, who will have seen the grown up with the original. Mm. But this feels like it's pitched very much at an audience who is young now. And so I, I think they could pick it up. Whether they are or whether they will is a very different question. Yes, we, we should be clear that one of the reasons Charlotte's students are talking to her about Wednesday is because she looks exactly like Christina Rishi's teacher in Wednesday. <laughs> so that might not be an entirely, you know, valid sample. Um, but but yeah. yeah, as soon as soon as you as soon as you leave the room, they're all talking about the Santa Clauses. <laughs> But but no, I think there is I think there is an, an interesting thing here. I think it is meant probably 
to be people of kind of your generation with small children. I think that's probably the sweet spot that they're aiming at. I would be a teen mum if I had a child right now. What are you on about? Of course you would, but you know. <laughs> but like little children, you could have had like a like a four-year-old maybe, you know. Not to give any ages away, my God. Um, so, so yeah, so I wonder if there's there's maybe that's kind of what they're aiming for. Because I, I think you're right. I, I was watching it going well, this bit's a bit grown up, this bit's a bit kiddie. I don't know quite what the audience is here. And I wonder if you were coming to it completely fresh, if you'd be a bit mystified by the idea, just the the, the basic premise that Santa can retire and that Santa has another life. That might seem a bit odd to you. So I think you probably need to have seen at least the first movie, like you had, Tom. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the perfect audience, I guess. I think as well, it's got very much jokes for the parents syndrome like there's gags about nfts and there's a gag about like things you can and can't say in the workplace and it's there's a lot of jokes for the parents syndrome in there especially in the early few Mm. episodes some of that felt a bit tim allen being a little bit maybe small at least small c conservative let's not brand him with anything but um you know there's a little bit grumpy old man get off my lawn in some of those jokes i thought yes you can't even say naughty anymore. Oh no, it's, yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you can say naughty, it's just it has other connotations for most adults that, yes. that don't have anything to do with, you know, bad behaviour. Well, yes. I mean, maybe they do. No As judgment. I saw Violent Night yesterday, I, I do associate the word naughty with Santa now, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other conversation to have that uh, we sadly do not have time for on this particular one, but... Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really troubling double bill with the Christmas Chronicles, the sort of sexy Santa double bill. Yeah, and I'm worried about you say Red. troubling. I am not troubled. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about Red one last year with uh, J.K. Simmons getting super hench to play Santa as well. Uh, th- these are all valid <laughs> questions that we're going to have to discuss. How much are we supposed to be attracted to Santa? But well, let's talk about Tim Allen's Santa because he is now the age that his Santa was kind of meant to look like in the original film. You know, he kind of ages 30 years overnight in the original film with, by the way, some great makeup and prosthetics work. It was fantastic. Mm. But yeah, now he he pretty much is a 60-year-old. He, he still has a bit of prosthetics and, and certainly the, the fake beard. But, you know, he's at least closer to the centre. I think in some ways he's now... He's now too much just Santa rather than... Because the whole thing in the, in the original is he's a guy who became Santa. Yeah. And now because so many years have passed, he's just a Santa Claus. So it makes him less interesting, yeah. which is why it's so great that the show's not really about him. Yeah, he doesn't have a huge arc. Like I thought there'd be some crisis when he retired and he'd have to get some kind of bizarre day job that would have lots of comical misunderstandings. And there, there wasn't that much culture clash, fish out of water kind of stuff for him to do. They sort of ran out of time, I think. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> they had to fit in the David Crumholtz cameo, which I was pleased to say, see, actually. That was, uh, that was a funny little joke. I particularly liked how they introduced him like a horror movie villain at the end of that one episode. Yes. And then you wait a week. <laughs> and then you wait a week yeah, and you yeah. find out that the hand on Santa's shoulder is actually like his friend. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of adorable. So how about the Santa family then, or the Calvin family, if you prefer? So uh, the two kids played by Austin Kane and Elizabeth Allen Dick, uh, who have been raised at the North Pole, and Elizabeth Mitchell's Carol, who I thought did have a little bit of an arc to herself. It was interesting, that idea of her finding her identity beyond Mrs. Claus, because I can't think of any adaptations where there is a developed Mrs. Claus. Mm. Aside from Christmas Chronicles 2, and I kind of played with that. 
<laughs> the, probably the first time someone's referenced that film in the, since it came out. Um, <laughs> I don't think the family is particularly likeable. And I, the bit that I find quite distressing is how they treat their kids. Mm -hmm. They seem baffled by the children they have raised. <laughs> <laughs> it did seem a little bit harsh at times towards them. Yeah, because they have certain abilities, right? And they've been raised in this very, very strange environment. And instead of making an effort to in any way compensate for that, their parents just seem to be like, well, they're weirdos, huh? Yeah. But I think Austin Kane is loads of fun. Mm. Loads mm. of fun. I think the powers are really interesting because they're so specific and they're very much, oh, they have the exact power they need for this bit of the story. <laughs> Whereas you'd think if they were raised at the North Pole, they'd be more sort of generally magical. Whereas they're sort of like, they're like, um, you know, in Twilight, some of the vampires have one extra power. <laughs> yeah. They're very much like that. <laughs> are they good vampires? Are we putting them up there with, you know, who, who are, like, Alice has a very useful power. Emmett, maybe less yeah. so. You know, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> at, least, at least when the moment calls for it, they turn into Alice's, I suppose. So that helps. And Austin Kane in particular, he does have a lot of fun with the idea of being excited for totally boring stuff like i thought yes. that was very charming <laughs> yeah and i liked that I, I thought his little romance actually was a little bit undercooked i would have liked more of that yeah. because that was really nice and really wholesome i also felt like in the end elizabeth mitchell's arc was undercooked because she she goes back to the real world she gets a job they you know, recognize her skills they she's basically able to pick up where she left off become i think a school principal you know, it seems to slot right back into life. But then when it comes to it, just absolutely drops it all, goes back to the North Pole. And and there, aside from a fight scene where she's allowed to work out some anger, uh, John Wick style, I'm not quite clear how her world has now changed. Is she going to stop wearing the little glasses and is her hair going to stay blonde? These are questions that remain unanswered. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys probably resonate with this, you know, more than me, but how many times have we seen a female character who's supposed to be strong given precisely one fight scene to show that she's a badass and then no further development? Despite, you know, she it was, like you say, it's set up as a really interesting thing. And then they go, yeah, like you say, back to the North Pole, but she gets one fight scene to show that she's not just Mrs. Claus anymore. She's, you know, John Wick Claus. <laughs> John Wick Claus. Saint Wick, if you will, to uh, quote a line <laughs> I'm totally going to use in our Violent Night episode. Um <laughs> but uh, well how did what did you think about uh, then Simon I thought he was quite an interesting character because they clearly wanted to have a real problem that needed to be solved but not go a traditional villain route in terms of the audience's accessibility I as a villain and his motives and everything I don't know how accessible they are for children mm. because there's clearly allusions to kind of Amazon Elon Musk that kind of dictator through these new industries. I don't know how easily accessible that is to the children watching it. Mm. There, there is, I think, a danger of that. And, and the whole the whole idea of, I mean, yeah, it is the kind of idea where if Jeff Be Bezos had access to magical portals that could, you know, reach anywhere in the world in minutes, you know, he absolutely would reorganise his whole distribution model around that. Like that, that I thought was quite witty and quite fun. But maybe the extent to which he gets caught up in it is perhaps a little extreme for kids to kind of get hold of. Yes, I think so. And like, it's all kind of, it's all rolled up in those jokes for the parents. It's all rolled up in jokes about employment rights and unionisation mm. and all of that sort of stuff that doesn't quite 
work. And I'm, I'm a little bit bored already of the Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg tech billionaire villain. <laughs> I feel like in the last two years, we've seen it almost weekly in various guises. And I don't know, it, at this point, it feels a little bit obvious. The Christmas twist, I think, was quite interesting with, like, you know, making it Christmas every day. But hmm. I do feel like we've seen that a lot already. I know, you know, watching this a week after seeing Glass Onion, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's, it's, the, it's the same character. Yes, and no spoilers for Glass Onion today. But uh, but yeah, there there is a there is an Elon Musky sort of a Egypt in that. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I, no, I'll be honest with you, I disagree slightly, and here's why. When they try to be unobvious, Hollywood make people motivated by the environment into the villain. That's what happens when they try to be unobvious. Mm. And I don't think as a society we should really support that anymore. And I would rather us go for the tech billionaires who actually are doing some damage. So as things stand, I'm kind of okay with it. You know, it's not full-on you know, Wally or Avatar, like capitalism is straight up bad. Like it doesn't go quite that far. But I, I enjoyed having having a, an actual capitalist, frankly, be the bad guy. Yeah, I thought there was, because they don't really explore the tension in that that's sort of what Scott used to do. He was like a toy marketing person. Oh, that's true. true. Oh, that's a very so good point. So he very much comes from that, he comes from that sort of cold-hearted capitalist world. But they don't really explore the tension between that and the new Santa at all. It it might have been better if they'd actually made that part of the reason that he, you know, he gloms onto him so quickly a little bit more. Yeah, because really he just he just does a little anecdote about his daughter and it's like, you're Santa yeah, now. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the, the Santa sort of interviews and I feel like they could have done more mm. with that. Like, it's quite funny having, was it Peyton Manning? The, the footballer, yes. that was like, that was a fun idea. You know, if they could have got Dolly Parton or something in, I would have been all for it but you know you would have kind of liked a few more of those sort of level of people I feel like would have been quite entertaining I'm not sure who you could have got but similarly I've really enjoyed episode five the meeting the other Santas and Krampus making an appearance yeah I think that's when the, the series kind of hit its stride a bit it found like it found its voice yeah and, and it's it's a shame that it took maybe that long to to get to that kind of message that there's more to this Santa than maybe we thought. I also enjoyed seeing Jerry from Parks and Rec doing so well as the Santa who fell off the roof in the first place. Uh, I thought he was uh, he was a surprisingly great Santa. He's right straight onto my uh, Santa top 10, 15. It's hard to keep track now. There's so many. <laughs> I do think, yeah, all of that Santaverse plot was quite fun. And it at least explained those horrifying opening titles. Yes. <laughs> Every time I had to skip them by episode six because it's the, the horrible CGI shot of Tim Allen and then the reindeer. And it's, oh, it's horrible. So you think, is that why you think it's not really for kids? You know, it's just the maybe the terrifying like reindeer looking like they've been punched or something and they're in slow motion. Yeah. Raging bull. <laughs> Thank God for the skip intro button. There are families <laughs> everywhere hammering that button every week. <laughs> Look away, children, look away. <laughs> yeah, it can yeah. hurt you if you don't... <laughs> yeah, Tim Allen Santa can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope not anyway.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author, and host of Women vs. Hollywood, a new podcast from the Stripped Media family. We're exploring the fall and rise of women in Hollywood from the silent era to the present day and into the future. Each episode, I'm joined by three or more special guests to discuss the challenges that women face in the film industry and look at what we can do to change the picture. We've got actors, directors, producers, writers, academics, film experts, you name it, they're all here to explain what's going on in Hollywood. Search for Women vs. Hollywood now, wherever you're listening to this, and come join us. So what about the elves? We haven't talked about the elves yet. Did you enjoy them this time? Did you enjoy the the storyline between uh, our, our true loves, Betty, Matilda Lawler, and Devon Bright's Noel? They were... An interesting couple, I thought. I would die for them. It's the greatest love story of our time. <laughs> I'm going to need you to expand on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think what it is, I think it's the performances. I think mm. those two are so much fun. And I think that M- Matilda Lawler as Betty really nails that, um, you know, I look like a teenager, but I've been alive for a thousand yeah. years vibe. And then it's such a contrast with Devin Bright, who's doing almost the opposite thing but in a way that's really endearing. I just thought they were really lovely. I do think all the elf stuff is a bit... I think there's a lot in this show that falls victim to the running out of time thing Mm. that I mentioned earlier. Like, certainly the Santa interview process is that, because it barely gets half an episode. And the Mrs. Claus stuff and the the fish-out-of-water stuff with Scott when he goes back to the real world, because they then have to key into the big, dramatic, overall Saving Christmas plot. So I think the elf storyline is yet another thing that sort of falls into into that. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. I I just I thought Devon was delightful, but he he always seemed like a kid, and 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 so it, it was a very bizarre love story for me. I'll be honest, I did slightly bump up against <laughs> it a couple of times because because even though she's a kid, she's quite serious and you know, like you say, sensible, sober, got her shit together. And then she's married to this absolute chaos magnet. We've all met couples like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah we all know couples like that, exactly. And, you know, women mature quicker than men, and maybe that's true for elves as well. I mean, you know, about a millennia quicker. <laughs> <laughs> it all scales up. It scales up. <laughs> okay, what about La Befana? That's uh, Laura San Giacomo's character. As, uh, she's kind of the Italian centre, but she's got a kind of witchy flavour to her. And there's this kind of weird tension between her and Tim Allen Santa and this weird sort of like, well, I, I mean, you have to be here as well, I guess. We have to work together, but God, you're a weirdo, you know, sort of an energy. And again, it felt like one of those plot lines that was set up and then just sort of poof. Yeah, I, I don't remember her or that plot line in the slightest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tom, how about you? <laughs> It's never explained why they're like, because all the elves are like, oh, don't go in the woods because the Christmas witch is there. But it's never made clear why they're scared of her. And everyone that goes out there is fine and is her friend. 
and she doesn't do anything wrong or she doesn't even imply she's going to do anything wrong. So I don't really get why they're supposed to be scared of her because when we meet her, she's just fine. She's just, like you say, a little bit witchy yeah. and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Misogyny. So, but yeah, I would have loved, I would have loved to have seen more of her. I would have loved to have seen more of her. She was loads of fun. Misogyny, Charlotte. The patriarchy at work. That's why La Bifana has been set, cast aside. Afraid of powerful women. Yeah, it's the correct answer. <laughs> but they don't explore that. If they explored that, that would have been really interesting. Yeah. I guess, I mean, the one thing she does, I suppose, is steal the coat before Simon can wear it, I think. But again, you know, that's not clear if that's good or bad. She seems to kind of be maybe holding it for good reasons. So again, I was a little bit, um, what's going on about that bit? I mean, it turns out to be a good thing in the end. Exactly. Maybe she caught a bad vibe off off, uh, off him before anyone else did. At least somebody's looking out. At least someone is. Yeah, exactly. You know, Scott was blinded by the daughter anecdote. <laughs> Labafana, she could see the she could see what was going on. All right. So, any favorite moments? Did you have Did you have scenes that warmed the cockles of your heart and made you feel Christmassy? The whole last episode, to be honest, I I I th- I, I thought all of the I'm a sucker for like saving Christmas. I don't need anything that's come before it to be interesting or good. <laughs> if they save Christmas at the end, it will warm the cockles of my heart, and and it did. I, so I, I thought the last episode was was genuinely lovely for the most part. I, I sort of generally enjoyed the whole thing, you know, with the caveats that there were lots of things they set up and abandoned. And, you know, as we've said, it is very, very kiddie. But there's nothing, you know, there's nothing inherently bad about that. But yeah, the last episode I thought was really lovely and I liked the way it tied everything mm. together, even if there were some things I wish there'd been more of. Yeah. How about you, Charlotte? Bernard the Elf. Bernard the Elf. Yeah, it's good to see an old friend come back, isn't it? Because he wasn't in the third film. I like that they had to find a way to explain that he's not an elf anymore. He doesn't look like an elf. And the reveal of who his wife is that he sacrificed immortality for was beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in fairness, Vanessa Redgrave is, you know, a legend. Why not? Absolutely. Because he wasn't in the third film. They said uh, scheduling conflicts, but then it turned out his role was just undervalued. Didn't feel like it was worth coming back for. And I think they really integrated it nicely in this one. Yeah, he played an actual part. He had an actual thing to do. So I thought that was quite charming. Uh, I, I'll be honest, my single favourite thing in this was when it turns out Grace has a marshmallow pillow. <laughs> the North Pole. You know that old joke about, you know, I dreamed I was eating giant marshmallows and I woke up and my pillow was gone. You know, the, the sort of reverse of that i thought was was quietly genius so i really really enjoyed yeah. that it was stupid but fun and then the bleakness when the pillows aren't marshmallow anymore the pillows <laughs> cease to be marshmallow <laughs> i mean I, again like there was an almost horror element to this as the north pole becomes yeah. more and more depopulated and everyone's disappearing <laughs> and everyone's wandering around wondering when they'll be next and you've got your conspiracy theorist weirdo with his hershey's kisses a tinfoil hat that he believes is keeping himself from from just vanishing in a puff of smoke like everybody else. I mean, it could have gone really dark. Like we could have been fully Infinity uh, War horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say there is a moment where you wonder if this is set in the MCU in 2018. <laughs> Half of them disappear. <laughs> yeah. The ultimate Disney tie-in. Wow, Thanos ruins Christmas. And the other parallel I thought of that probably no one has thought of before is, you know, when um, The Force Awakens and you realise that Han Solo's life hasn't been as noble as you would have hoped. Kind of felt that with uh, Scott here. 
Yeah, like he's been he's been Santa, but has uh, perhaps not uh, shifted the needle as much as he should have done. It's interesting to me, just, just to kind of finish up with a little bit of a philosophical point. So at the end of this movie, or at the end of this show, the sort of solution he comes up with to restore Christmas cheer and undo the damage that Simon has done is to distribute the magic snow globes that show everybody their favourite Christmas memory, basically around the world. Now, in some stories and in some iterations of the Santa legend, I think in Elf, most notably, believing is much more important than seeing. You cannot see Santa and know Santa exists because that is the antithesis of believing Santa exists. You have to believe without knowledge for it to be kind of worth something to Christmas. Is this coming a little bit too close, philosophically speaking, to just revealing that Santa's a thing? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Is it too early in the morning for philosophy? Yeah, that was the philosophical response to the philosophical question. (laughs) The Annie Reeves style. Um, Whoa. Because it, because it, that exists very much in this franchise as well. Because there's the repeated line about what is it, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. Exactly. Something yeah. like that. Um, it doesn't really make sense. It's the minute you try to think about what it means, it makes no sense. Um, I think it's okay because you're you're not showing them anything about Santa. You're showing them their their favorite Christmas memory. So it's like you know to be corny about it, their Christmas spirit was in them all along. They just needed to be reminded <laughs> of it. I think that's what they're doing. Right. Let's hope. So, so it's a slight. You're, you're basically, you're drawing a lawyer-like conclusion to the Santa clauses, and drawing a very yes, fine. You've taught line. me well. You've taught me I well. I mean, Helen. I am absolutely <laughs> thrilled. I think that's a perfect note on which to end. Because if there <laughs> is anything that this show is is serious about, it's legalese. So, um, <laughs> what a great note to end on. But anyway, if you'd like to go and uh, watch the Santa Claus, hope you, hopefully you have already, because we've just spoiled it all. But it is on Disney Plus this Christmas. In the meantime, I'd like to thank my two guests, Charlotte Harrison and Tom Beasley. Thank you for joining me. Where can people find you online if they'd like to hear more from you? I'm at, at Sometimes Movies on Twitter and Instagram. And I am on Twitter at Tom J Beasley and on Instagram, I think it's Tom Beasley 1994. I don't use Instagram for work very often, but, but that's what it is, <laughs> I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining me and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! heard a stripped media production.